Hi, Jim Kosho here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to today's Dunn Solutions podcast, where we're committed to providing cutting-edge industry knowledge for the building contractor and trade professional. Today, we'll hear from Arnie Hendricks, who provides CFO and business planning services for small to mid-sized companies. In the last 25 years, Arnie has consulted with over 300 different companies, helping them achieve more profitable growth and increase the value of their business. On today's podcast, Arnie will discuss the following. Attributes of a business transition, the importance of strong financials, how to properly restate your financials for prospective buyers, understanding your options for selling your company internally or externally, and how businesses are valued and the issues that drive the value of a company. If you have additional questions for Arnie, please email him at arnie.hendricks at gmail.com. That's H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S, arnie.hendricks at gmail.com, or visit his website at www.financialmanagementresources.biz. For information on future industry events, you can email me at jimc at dunlumber.com. Good morning. So as I, as I try to talk to the people in the far corners of the room, I apologize to the folks here that might be a little bit oh, over, overtaken. But um, if, you, um, if you can't hear me, uh, raise your hand or something, say louder, and I'll try to pick it up again because sometimes as I go through a 45 minutes, it starts to fade. Uh, something that my kids learned a long time ago that if they should just stick with it, they could wear me out a little bit, you know? <laughs> so. So what you have in front of you are three documents, maybe just a, first a little background uh, of what got me here, and that is that I've had a finance background, accounting degree, worked as a controller, chief financial officer for a couple of mid-sized manufacturing companies. Then 25 years ago, I started Financial Management Resources, which is basically a one-man consulting practice of part-time CFO and business planning and strategic planning, uh, kind of everything that could help a business owner become more profitable, more valuable. So I did that for about 20 years, and about five years ago, I had a variety of clients that were beginning to need some assistance in selling their businesses and transitioning. So uh, I saw a bit of a trend as uh, demographics, as we all know, are, uh, are moving along. 10,000 people a day in the United States are turning 65, which concerns us all as far as Social Security and Medicare and a lot of other things that the government needs to figure out for us. But there's also a lot of people that have been in their business for 20, 30 years that are now thinking about retiring and getting value out of what they have built up and enjoy doing for a long time. So I went out, uh, picked up a little bit of expertise and uh, certification as far as exit planning and working with family businesses just to kind of enhance what I've done. And that kind of got me now into the area of working with companies primarily through transitions and uh, succession plans and exit plans, whatever terminology you're most comfortable with, but basically transferring the ownership of your business to somebody else. Uh, every situation is entirely unique, which makes it very interesting to, to work with folks. Sometimes family is involved, sometimes it's management team, sometimes there's no one, so you've got to go outside. Uh, and um, so, you, what you are, what you're going to hear this morning is uh, a little bit uh, applicable to anybody that is in your business, or maybe others that you know. So maybe you want to pass it on. I've got three documents for you. One is just a copy of the presentation that typically I'd be using as a slideshow and talking from. So, I've got printouts for it, and we'll walk through this as if it is a slideshow. So. I'm not sure the lighting, if you can read it all. I might have trouble myself reading it all. So we'll, we'll walk through that. And I'll point towards getting through the presentation by 8 o'clock, right? So if you can stick with us till 8 o'clock, we'll kind of use that as a point in time where people have to exit, they can. And then what I can do is stay as long as you'd like for any questions and answers or specifics. So that's the one document. The second document, as Jim mentioned, is that you send in a lot of great questions and concerns. Uh, and as I looked through those, I thought, well, I'm, every question is a 15-minute conversation. But I, what I've done is identified just a couple of bullets on each one. It, some of the questions I've, I'll be addressing as we go through the presentation, so you'll see those referred there. Uh, some of the other questions, I just gave a bullet, an idea, a thought, a bit of a response just to maybe address it. 
but certainly happy to follow up later this morning or on a phone call or over a cup of coffee or whatever. So, so that's the second document. Uh, the, the last document is a, what I call a readiness assessment, transition readiness assessment. And what I use this for is when I'm either talking to somebody to get started or even finding out what their interest is, is ask them to complete this uh, because it addresses most of the issues that need to be lined up before you do transition. So you'll be able to take this with you, um, give yourself a grade of what you agree with, what you don't agree with. Uh, it's always interesting if you've got a spouse that's involved in the business and fairly knowledgeable is that you do it separately and then compare notes, right? Uh, or if you have two or three partners in a business, each do it separately and then compare and see whether you're on the same page as far as w where you stand on the different issues, okay? Uh, makes for some interesting um, conversations. And, and uh, so th that's for your takeaway and use. And at the end of the second page, what you'll see is a reading list because of the fact that this is something that most of you in this room will only do one time. Sometimes you end up with serial entrepreneurs, they buy and sell businesses, and by the time they're 65, they've had six or eight of them, right? So they're used to it, they've gone through the contracts, they've gone through the negotiations. But most people, it's once in a lifetime event. So what I found is that it really is an education process, and there's some great material out there that can bring you along the lines of of uh, understanding the issues, you know, giving it some thought. And, uh, and I just start top to the bottom. Uh, the first one is a, a little workbook uh, that has a little education. It's got some great questions. It's got some, a spot where you can make some notes. So I think you'll find that one interesting. And the second one, Every Family's Business, is a business fable. Um, I enjoy the books out there now that are really stories that uh, capture you and give you teaching at the same time and that every family's business is a, a business fable about two families, one did it right and one did it wrong and uh, I think you'll enjoy that as well, especially if you're a family owned business or if you have uh, children that perhaps are looking to take over the business. Um, and the other ones are, are all excellent as well. So the uh, if nothing else, you know, hopefully learn something today, take some ideas away, and here's a great list. It's all of it. They're all available on Amazon, and um, I think you'll, uh, you'll enjoy reading those. Um, so, we'll just kind of get started through the presentation with that bit of an introduction. And the slides go from upper left to the right, and then down to the bottom left, and then to uh, the bottom right. So the upper right one there with EPI valuation acceleration process is a little bit hard to read, but basically what it does, uh, EPI Exit Planning Institute is uh, somewhere I got a certification through about five years ago. Their website has a lot of information on it. And what you'll find after today perhaps is not unlike when you buy a car and all of a sudden you see that same car everywhere on the road is after today you will see lots of information in the newspapers and on TV about succession planning and exit planning. So there's lots of good information out there to read and uh, the EPI website has, has some that you can access as well. Uh, but basically what it, what it goes through is, is the first thing is a discovery process and to some degree you guys have all started that discovery process this morning. Okay, you're, you're going to get some ideas, you're going to get some maybe some uh, red flags that you need to be thinking about and um, you're going to gather information and then what you end up with is you go through an evaluation process and determine if you're ready, uh, what things you need to be working on and then once you have that information and you've assessed it and you've kind of learned what your options are, then you need to make a decision. You know, do you walk away from the business? Do you sell the business? Do you uh, put a, a plan in place and hopefully uh, you've got three to five years to uh, go through a transition because that's really the best way to maximize the value and to uh, assure the legacy and the continuity of your business is if you can do it with a plan, right? Um, and um, even 10 years. I've got some 15 to 20 year plans uh, that I'm working on with clients to where they, they're going to work for another 10 years, go through the transition, and then the buyout is over 10 years. and you know, they end up cashing out 20 years from now. So easy to do on a spreadsheet. Um, 
and uh, makes sense to, to be able to lay something out so that you've got a plan in place, not unlike you do your business planning and your other financial planning. So that little chart kind of gives you some ideas there. And the bottom left says attributes of a transition. It's complex, uh, once in a lifetime like I've talked about. Um, one of the things that uh, I've found is, uh, which is part of the interesting, is once people start looking at this issue, is there's two things that cause them to take action. One is they start to understand the complexity uh, and how, how, how many stakeholders there are involved. When, if you think of your customers, you think of your employees, some of which might be children, think of your management team, uh, you think of your vendors, and uh, certainly in a lot of areas you think of your communities. What you do with your business matters to a lot of people in addition to the fact that it matters to you as far as the amount you might have for retirement, right? So once you understand that complexity, you say, I've got to get going on this because I'm not just going to be able to do it overnight. Uh, so that's one thing. The other part of it, which we'll get into a little bit, is when people understand how you value a business and what somebody might pay you for it, <laughs> and you take that number and you put it into your personal financial plan and you see the amount that it might take in order to get you to retirement and through the retirement years, you might have a gap, okay? So you go to your financial plan and we'll talk about that in a little more detail and they'll say you need to get a million dollars for your business with what you have in savings, with what your spending plan is, that'll get you to age 93. Um, however, if you only get half a million dollars, you're going to be short and you're going to run out when you're 85. Uh, and um, so now you end up with is, if you have time, uh, you can go back and say, how do I, two things. One, how do I get my value up from 500000 to a million? Or how do I reduce my spending so that I can maybe take it up to seven fifty, reduce my spending, and the formula still works? So there's a lot of great folks out there that can help you with that. And my, my role is to help increase the value and, and set it up so you maximize the value for it. And there are others that come around the table and help on the team. So those are some of the attributes. Um, we're going to talk about some of the value enhancement possibilities. Uh, it's all negotiable. And one of the things you find is that when you enter the, the kind of, of uh, monetary values we're talking about, um, people change, right? You're talking about money, and we're talking about what's fair, and we're talking about what do you mean, I helped you build this business for the last 20 years, and you don't want to sell it to me, and now you're going to walk away with all the money. So a lot of emotions and a lot of issues because there's a lot at stake for, for a lot of people. So one of the things that you have to remember in the bottom right, we're going to talk about the importance of strong financials, is that usually the conversation starts about how profitable are you, uh, how much cash are you generating, you know, why should I pay you X unless you're making Y, right? So if you think of it and you put it into, you take on the mindset of the buyer, is why would somebody give you something for your business? The only reason they're going to pay you something is because they're going to get their money back, right? So, for example, if you're making $100,000 a year uh, after you take out your salary, I might give you $400,000 for it because in four years I'll have my money back and then I'll be able to take it from there, right? So it, that return on investment, we're going to talk about that multiple, is there's, there's usually a component of profitability and cash flow, discretionary cash flow they call it, that starts the conversation on, um, on earnings and value. Okay, um, so in order to do that, you got to have strong financials. You got to have income statements that are accurate. They're timely. Uh, a lot of small, medium-sized businesses, you know, don't pay too much attention to that. But what they find out is that when a buyer comes in, they want to see your last three years' financials. So you've got to make sure that they get uh, in order. Um, because you want the credibility uh, that good, strong financials show. So if you're going to come into a business and, and you want to sell it to me and I, and I say, what's your last three year financials? I say, well, we really don't do financials and, you know, they're not very accurate and I really don't look at them. All of a sudden, as you can imagine, the price comes down because what am I buying? I don't know. You can't even tell me what I'm buying. Um, and you got all your personal stuff in there, so I can't figure out really how much you're making. And so I'll give you a little bit, but I'm not going to give you a lot because I don't know for sure. So what you want to do is, not unlike when you sell your house, 
if you sell your house, you're going to mow the lawn, you're going to paint it, you're going to make sure the roof is clean, uh, people will come in and stage it, uh, you're going to do everything you can to give the best first impression, and then when people come in, they like what they see. Same thing about your business, you've got to get it ready to sell. So, and the financials are a big part of that. Um, so, identifying how much cash is, is there, we'll talk a little bit more about that in some detail. Uh, key components you end up with is always start with looking at the last three years. What's happening to your revenue? Are your sales going up? Are they going down? Um, what's your customer concentration? Uh, do you only have one customer that you golf with every Saturday that provides most of your business? If I buy your business and I don't golf, uh, what happens to him and what happens to the business, right? So you end up with customer concentration, um, trends on your revenue, trends on your margins, uh, and just the overall level of profitability are all key in finding out, you know, because I'm not buying what you have, I'm buying what I can do with it in the future. So if you have a business that's really strong, but if I buy it, the customer goes away or your major, you know, your margins start to slide, um, how am I going to get my money back? Okay, so that's kind of the mentality you got to you got to understand. Um, so second page. Uh, again, the balance sheet. We all look at the income statement. What's our revenue? What's our margin? What's our profitability? A lot of times, what people don't spend as much time on because it's a little more complicated and a little more accounting ease is the balance sheet. So what you have to do is to make sure that. You understand your balance sheet or you have somebody in your company or your CPA or somebody that can help explain to make sure that your receivables are clean, people are actually paying their bills, uh, your inventory, if you have inventory, depending on the kind of business you're in, uh, you might have inventory there of uh, half a million dollars, but if half a million dollars has been there for five years and it's not good inventory and you haven't written it off, I'm not going to pay you anything for it, right? So you want to make sure receivables are clean, your inventory is clean, your fixed assets, if you have a lot of fixed assets, you've got a good list on that, how current are they. Um, if you have a lot of fixed assets but they're all worn out, and if I come in to buy your business, I've got to put a bunch of money in in order to buy them, well then I've got to take that into consideration, right? On the other hand, some clients will have a balance sheet that uh, receivables are clean, inventory is clean, and the machinery has all been, um, the equipment's all been fully depreciated, but it's worth a million dollars. So you might have a balance sheet that doesn't reflect the value as well. So it can go either way. It's not all just to the negative, it can be to the positive as well. Um, again, I've seen just about everything on a balance sheet, all the way from uh, personal airplanes to yachts to, um, yeah, just about everything that can get, get on there. Uh, shareholder loans, uh, if you've got uh, people that he, you've either loaned money to the company or you've loaned to other shareholders or employees or, or family, all needs to be taken into consideration as far as what you're selling. Okay, so need, need a good clean income statement that shows positive trends, if at all possible, and where you're going to go. And then the balance sheet needs to be clean so that uh, as you present it to somebody, you don't have negative discussions. You guys are all in the negotiating game. You negotiate contracts and, and um, purchases of, of lumber and all that kind of good stuff. And the same thing happens is, is that once you sit down with a potential buyer, you're, are, the negotiations have begun, right? And so any negative, I'm not going to pay any more than I have to, and you're going to get as much as you can. So if you've got some things on your balance sheet that I can talk about that end up being a negative, well, I'm going to use that to lower the price, right? Not unlike, again, if um, I sold a house one time and it needed a new roof, and I didn't want to spend $25,000 on the roof. And um, so we ended up changing the price uh, by ten dollars or $15,000 uh, because of the fact that the new buyer was going to have to come in and put a new roof on. Well, to some degree, I was $10,000 ahead, but went in knowing what the situation was, right? Um, so uh, debt to equity ratio, the last one is how leveraged are you? Uh, what's your line of credit like? How many, what are your notes? What's your cash flow? Those kinds of things is important as well. Um, so then you go to the right there, it says restating financials is that um, the benefit of owning your own business is there are a lot of personal expenses that you can very properly put 
into your business as far as travel, uh, as far as other expenses. And um, you need to understand what's in there so that when you're presenting it, if you say, um, you know, only shows I made $50,000, but I really made $150,000. Well, why is that? Well, it's because of this, this, and this, right? So you're not talking to the IRS agent at this point in time. You're talking about a potential buyer because they need to understand how much they're going to get out of it. So personal expenses are something that need to be taken into consideration. Another uh, common one is just compensation. Uh, if you're paying yourself $25,000 a year because that's all you can afford and it looks like you're profitable, somebody else is going to want to say, well, I want to make $100,000, and so therefore you're overstating your income by $75,000 in a normalized basis. Um, or you might be taking out $200,000, and really $100,000 would be adequate, so maybe you're understating your income by $100,000. So that normalization of salaries, of personal expenses, and then the last one is facilities a lot of times. Uh, small, medium-sized businesses will uh, have the building, they'll have rent, and it's, a, it's a, a transaction, you know, either between partners or between different LLCs, and it might be at market rent, it might be above market, it might be low market, okay? So what you want to be able to do is to understand what's the market, is that part of the transaction, and how do you normalize that? So when you're talking about the profitability of the company, it's normalized profit, that they can depend on. They might do something different with it, but it's what you're selling, okay? So that's what restating the financials uh, look like. And then on the balance sheet, you might as well clean up the balance sheet right off the inventory. Uh, if you don't have all the assets that are there, get that cleaned up, and there's uh, lots of folks that can help you do that. Um, so, creating a financial scorecard, bottom left, is uh, important just from a standpoint of once you, well, we're going to talk about some of the value drivers, is be conscious of your year-over-year -year revenue growth, your, what direction your margins are going, uh, what new customers you've added, what your concentration is. And once you become aware of this, at least quarterly, you ought to be checking in on those benchmarks so that you're able to see things going in the right direction and be able to take action. So, so for example, if you end up now, say you've got one customer that's 35% of your sales and you're gonna sell your business in five years, it's not that you don't want that customer to stay at that level, but what you realize is you maybe need to invest in some new business development and go out and get some new customers and so that 35% maybe is diluted down to 15 or 20%, okay? So once you understand that and you're watching it, then you can take the appropriate actions. Um, so inventory turnover, debt to equity ratio, all the kinds of things that when you're looking at your financials and you're saying is, okay, I'm gonna present this to the buyer in a way that will be favorable and that will show my company is valuable. Um, now, once you do that, well, then you can say, I'm going to be watching that, and so you'll be able to talk to it, and you get more familiar with it, and you start, and you start taking the right actions. Um, so then we get into how a business is valued anyway, right? Well, we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, the most normal process, and I don't do official valuations. I do what I call informal valuations because I could have five more certifications that would qualify me to value a business, put my stamp on it, and have it valid in court or in a divorce or in an official negotiation. What I'll do is informal, okay, which is pretty good, but there are lots of things that might lead us to say, no, you need to spend $3,000, $5,000, $10,000 to get somebody in town to do an official valuation. So that if you, for example, um, say you've got a partnership and there's a buy-sell agreement and the buy-sell agreement says that if someone dies or if they want to retire that the value of the business will be such and such, uh, typically there's a clause in there that says it has to be valued. And it usually comes back to is how much cash are you generating out of your business, right? Because the, the basic premise is, is that I'll pay you a certain amount but it will uh, I'll only pay you that because I'm going to get it back, right? Now, if, I'm, if all I'm going to do is take your business and work it exactly like you work it, I might give you three to five times your cash flow. So if you generate an extra $100,000 a year that you're putting in the bank, 
I might give you three to five hundred thousand dollars because I'm going to get my money back in three to five years, and then I'm going to be able to enjoy it from there. If um, if you have a, a high concentration of customers, I might only give you two times that cash flow because it's extremely risky. So the higher the risk, the less the value, right? Because I can't give you any more than uh, I can feel comfortable I'm going to get back. Um, in some cases, it looks risky. You say, no, it's not risky. Well, then they say, okay, well, then let's do an earnout so that if, in fact, the company generates that cash over the next five years, I'll pay you a certain amount per year. Um, pretty common idea from a buyer standpoint. Sounds pretty good because you have confidence. Very dangerous, and most attorneys will say, don't ever go there because of the fact that once you sell the company, you're no longer in control, and it, they might make some changes. They might get, you know, upset the customer. They might... Uh, reduce the quality of the product, and so all of a sudden the business goes down and you don't end up getting anything for it. So uh, earnouts are, are really dangerous, and typically you want to stay away from them if at all possible. What did you call it? It means that if you're making $100,000 a year, <clears throat> and I say I'll give you $500,000 for your business because I'm going to make $100,000 a year, but I'll give you $100,000 a year if the company is profitable, right? So the first year you get $100,000, everything's good. Second year, they mess up quality, they upset your customer, and they only make $50,000. Now you only have $50,000. And in the third year, they go out of business, right? And now you've gotten $150,000 for your business, and you thought you were going to get five hundred. dollars So uh, once you're out of control of the business, uh, it becomes very dangerous uh, to assume that you're going to get paid for it going forward, okay? Um, so... So it really starts, the conversation usually starts with how much you're making, how much cash you're generating, and then it's a multiple of that depending on the risk involved. Um, other aspects can come into it. If you have a business that um, is, has, uh, say it's got a half a million dollars of gross profit, and you've got $400,000 of costs, and you make $100,000, well, if I come in and I can take your customer base, combine it with my business, I can make more than $100,000 because a part of that $400,000 goes away. A lot of mergers, that's why, you know, that's why they happen because you can reduce your overhead and you can dilute those costs. So I might give you a higher multiple of the 100 because I'm really going to turn that into 200. So I'll split that with you and give you something like that. So there can be that uh, process. The other, uh, another idea would be is that um, your business might allow somebody to sell more of what they sell, right? You have a large customer. Uh, I've never been able to get into that customer. If I buy you, then I can get my product into that customer. I can make a lot more money. So there's a strategic value as well. So an example, it's a true example, which is always nice that when they're true and they're actual, is I had a company that was worth uh, about $4 million. And they had, they're in the sleep industry where they had wires that, uh, if you've ever had sleep apnea test, is they wire you up and they tie you into a machine and you go to sleep and they tell you, you know, the next morning what happened. Well, he had 60% of the market of the wires that went to the machines throughout the United States. This was about 10 years ago, and so sleep apnea and sleep industry was doing pretty well. Reimbursements were good, et cetera. And he was worth about $4 million. And the company that made the machine, so his average sales to a customer was about $10,000 a year. The machine cost $100,000. So the manufacturer of the machine wanted his business so that they could get into his customers that were using machines, right? And they had $100,000 machines. Sold the company for $22 million. Uh, even though his company was only making four because strategically they were gonna sell a lot of machines and it all works into the calculation. Right, so an uh, extreme example, but there is the idea that as you're looking to maximize the value of your business, you're looking to clean up your financials, get a good strong uh, earning stream, uh, get your cash position right, but also think about strategically how can you sell your business to somebody where they will benefit more than just your business, right? So you think strategically and, and that, that type of thing. So strategic value is important. Uh, assets mentioned, uh, you might have assets that are worth more than uh, what's on the balance sheet, so you might get some more value from that. You've depreciated that over the years. Um, you might have, uh, you know, some uh, some um, 
patents that are very valuable that are not on the balance sheet. You know, so you end up with looking at all the assets that you have. You might be able to have that in, as an addition. So maybe you have five times cash flow plus X number of dollars for the assets that are also very valuable. So again, it's part of the strategy of how can you maximize that valuation. Um, so and then what's going on in the market? Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as far as timing. What kind of a demand is there for your services or for your products uh, that are out there? So like a lot of things, timing is everything. Okay. So uh, next area is personal financial planning. I mentioned that briefly. Uh, I don't do personal financial planning, uh, uh, partly because of the fact that it gets into a whole area that I don't have the expertise in, and uh, it gets into a lot of non-business issues that come into personal issues. So all I can do is to say that when I start working with somebody, you know, number one, we start looking at what their objectives are, what do they want to accomplish, uh, number two is we will normalize the financials, we'll look at the past and we'll do some trends, we'll do an informal valuation. The third step before we can do anything is have you got your personal financial plan put together so that we know how much you need for the business and how much you have to take out of the business. So if the answer is yes, well then we take a look at that. If the answer is no, you need to find a personal financial planner and I've got a variety of people that I can recommend, but most people maybe know somebody or they know somebody that knows somebody. Idea being is, is that you need a financial plan that assumes you're going to get a certain amount after tax from your business and based on all your other assets and based on your spending is that formula needs to take you through retirement in a manner of what you want to live, right? So, um, and that's where the adjustments come in. What's the value of the business? Uh, how much longer do I need to work? And um, how much can I spend on an annual basis? Uh, so um, that all comes into play. So there's some, some ideas there as far as how that works. All I can do is say is that if you're thinking about selling your business and you don't have a personal financial plan, uh, put that together. And again, it's another area to start getting organized and learning. Um, I had a client recently that was ready to sell in two years. Uh, had a partner. They started talking about price and he's getting ready to hand off. And when we got into the personal financial planning, his personal financial planner said, John, you can't, you can't retire in two years. Um, you're going to need to work another seven or eight years. And you got to get more for the business because two things. One is you need to keep putting some money away from the distributions of the business. And we've been assuming $300,000 for your business and it's, you've only got, you're going to get 150, right? So, Again, it, it all works in the formula. The numbers can be entirely unique, and they always are to everybody as far as lifestyle, as far as other assets. A lot of businesses have, have served their, their families well. They've earned a nice living. Um, but a lot of people have not pulled much out of the business, and so that 75 to 80% of a business owner's uh, retirement typically comes from the sale of the business because they just have not pulled money out um, even though they've lived well, right? But you come to the end and you end up with is you got to get enough money for that business in order to have it work, okay? So key, key component of what you're thinking as far as what you need, what your timing is, uh, and how you're going to move forward uh, is that personal financial planning. So down below in the bottom two charts, there's a, a variety of things uh, that drive value of a business, and, and you all work with these every day. On the one hand, we look at it from a market standpoint, how much are you growing? Uh, what's the potential in the market? Is it going up or down? Uh, what are the barriers to entry? Uh, the recurring revenue is important. Is every contract a new negotiation? So if you don't get new contracts, you go out of business? Or do you have a business where you end up with half of your revenue is just automatic on an annual basis as long as you keep customers happy. So again, it all kind of comes into the risk. Um, and then you go into what's your brand, uh, what kind of marketing have you done, how different are you from your, from your competition, and um, those kinds of things kind of on the marketing side. And then over on the right-hand side, you see a lot of the operational stuff as far as how you actually run your business and how you've managed it. And, what kind of processes you have in place, um, 
uh, how happy are your customers, uh, how happy are your employees, um, do you pay, you know, what's your, what's your status there. Um, so the, the, the drivers of the value on the, on the market side impact your decision making as well as the operations. And, you know, there's not too many things that you can say is, is uh, 100%, but I can tell you 100% of the time when a business owner understands what's driving the value of their business, it impacts the way they run their business, right? Because now they understand the purpose behind some of the actions about how maybe it's a good investment this year to put some money into a new salesperson so that you can get some new customers so that three years from now that customer concentration is different than it is today, okay? Because that can be very, very valuable, okay? So um, understanding what drives value impacts the way you run your business. Another key part of that is uh, your management team or your employees, how qualified are they to buy your business? Are you setting them up for, um, uh, for potentially being your buyer, right? Uh, I had a variety of experiences where um, we've got a plan in place where the uh, management team is getting some stock, a little bit of stock. Uh, so they're gonna be five or 10% owners over the next five years. And in five years, they uh, are going to sell the business to the general manager uh, or to the, the person that will become the, the owner. And then the, the company is going to buy the company over the next seven years, right? So if you think of it, if a company's generating $100,000 a year of excess cash flow, and I've been pulling that out, and now I've got a manager that can keep running the company to generate that $100,000, and I sell it to him for $700,000, all he's got to do is give me that $100,000 a year for the next seven years. I get paid for the company, he gets the company, uh, and all the employees keep their job, customers don't realize anything has even changed, and away you go, right? Um, done several of those, and it works, it works pretty well as long as the company can keep generating the income to pay the note, right? Which goes back to the training of the people, making sure you got the right people in place, sure you got the right processes and policies in place, and you got some planning, and typically a situation like that, you're gonna be involved on an advisory board basis, or you're gonna maybe be involved in the company just to help in the transition to make sure it happens, okay? So all of that comes into uh, how you're running your business and, and you're developing your team. Okay, so next page, you can see we're gonna keep it moving here, um, is there's a, a variety of other things that drive value. Um, <clears throat> one of them is market timing. Uh, as you can all imagine, your business is more, probably more valuable now than it was in 2009, okay? So what's the demand for your business? Uh, so there are cycles. Um, I did this uh, one time for a, uh, an organization where the kind of business it was, it was strictly, there wasn't anything other than the profits and it was multiple times profits and it was in an industry that cycled with the building industry and um, uh, there were a variety of people that were, um, this was in 2010 I guess, and they were thinking about selling their business in five to seven years what we ended up with is, is that the recessions, if we look back at the last four recessions, uh, the midpoint has been every eight years, okay? The last midpoint of the recession was 2008. Uh, we're now in 2016, okay? Things are still going pretty good. Uh, and who knows what exactly will happen with the new administration, you know? Everyone's got their own opinion on that. But if, in fact, it continues for a while, there will be a soft spot. We've all been through that enough to where it doesn't keep climbing forever. Uh, there will be a correction. There will be a soft spot. When does that happen? And what you end up with is as that begins to happen and there's more risk in the future, people are going to feel less comfortable paying a certain amount for your business because of the fact what's going to happen. So that that timing is critical from a market standpoint. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. What's going on with the economy? Uh, what's going on with uh, your industry as far as the, the timing of when to be transitioning? Because especially if you're carrying the note, so you sell to your management team or your kids and you're going to be carrying the note, it'd be nice to have them have a few years of success in order to be able to make the payments 
before they hit a soft spot when maybe you had to renegotiate and give them a little bit more time, right? Another thing that drives value is just the nature of the business. And what happens is, is when you start your business, uh, you hit a niche, you got a product line, you get some major customers, things are going pretty good and it's all up, right? Well, no company keeps going up and up and up. Eventually it levels off and then it softens and then comes down. So when you think of when you want to maybe transition your business, it's before it softens and it turns down because again, you're selling the future, right? So that if you look at that chart, and whether it's one to 10 years or whether it's one to 50 years, and you chart where you're at in your business, is that you can see uh, if you go to year four, year three, your company's more value because you're still selling the upside, right? But if you say, okay, this isn't going so good, we're not making as much money, it's not as much fun, uh, it's harder, and you're at, uh, say, year six or seven, and the business is starting to decline, and you have a buyer come in and looks at that, well, the value is not gonna be what it would have been five years ago, okay? Because they're buying that future. They might pay you a certain amount for it, but they might have to do some things to turn it back around. So the business timing is important. Where are you at in your business cycle? And then frankly, it comes down to just personal timing. Uh, the older we get, less energy that we have, uh, the less passionate we are about going to work 10, 12 hours a day. Uh, perhaps we've had some good success. Uh, we have more toys and we want to vacation more. The boat is sitting in the, in the, uh, out in the yard and let's you know, take it out for the long weekend versus five years ago, you wouldn't have even thought about doing that. So, so all of that comes into play as far as the value of the business because you start to lose a little momentum. Um, I had somebody call me up a couple years ago from Las Vegas and um, he was walking a show uh, he was in the hardware business. He said, Arnie, he said, I'm done. I've been doing this for 25 years. I don't want to do this anymore, right? And so he just mentally was, was over. Now he's 70 years old, so I can see why after 25 years that's enough. But uh, so we had to go in through a process then of uh, uh, you, you, just can't, you just can't call quits and then expect to get maximum value for it, okay? So be thinking about that. You know, I was giving this presentation. Um, a couple years ago, we go down to Cannon Beach a lot as a family, and so I've been down there and working with some clients down there in a room like this, and somebody, you know, they were going around introducing themselves, and had a, a winemaker that was 84 years old and going strong, so I said, I may have to change my chart a little bit because he was still looking to the future and building his business, so um, it's, the idea is there. Everyone has their own timetable, right? Uh, some people are, start to lose energy and passion and, and focus uh, earlier uh, than others. So just a matter of keeping it in mind. Um, and then knowing your exit options, like I said, when I, when I start with folks, it's a matter of what do you want to do with the business? What do you have in mind? What are some opportunities? I want to sell my business to my kids. Well, great. Well, um, what do your kids do? Well, you know, they don't really run the business and they're not that interested, but I really want to keep it in the family. Well, okay, that might be okay, but you might not get a lot of money for it, right? Um, so you got to make sure that uh, what's best for the business is that your kids are not your kids. And if it is, well, then making sure they've got uh, a path to, uh, um, to make it successful because it's that success in the future that's going to end up getting you the value. And it depends on how important that value is. You have some people that say, look, I've saved enough money over the years that I don't need the money from the business. And it's always hard for me to imagine that, but in case that does happen, I don't need the money from the business and I really want to transition it to my management team or to my kids and I'm willing to take a risk that they're going to be able to do it. Great, okay, so then you put that plan in place. However, if you've got kids or management team that, um, and I use the two because usually management teams are like kids to a lot of business owners because they've been working together for the last 20 or 30 years, right? Um, if, if the company isn't successful, my retirement is shot, it's a, it's a different risk factor, right? So now you end up with emotionally you may want to do it, but realistically you can't. And somehow you got to get your kids or your management team to understand that. Uh, maybe there's a win-win out of it from a standpoint of sharing something and, um, and it just ends up being really complicated depending on the relationship of the family already 
So where are the relationships now? Are they um, good or bad? Uh, what's the status of the in-laws? Because usually the in-laws are the ones that kind of mix things up a little bit, right? Um, and um, one of my goals is I'm working with folks is whatever the relationships are after the transaction to make them as good or better, right? So they're done with the kind of integrity and openness and honestness and what's in everybody's best interest um, as you can so that when your transaction is done, as we say, you can still get around the Thanksgiving table and everybody have a good time, right? So it's, it's complicated, but certainly family members and other shareholders and management team are the initial options a lot of people think about. Um, it might be a third party uh, that wants to get into the business. Um, it's a little longer selling cycle usually because they're not as familiar with it. Uh, more negotiations. Um, might be that um, you end up with a competitor. Um, and this gets a little tricky because you've been beating each other up for years in the marketplace, stealing business from each other and everything else. Now you want to sell your business to them, right? So you've got to kind of think ahead of time of how you have to get the relationship so you can have a civil conversation and uh, come up with something that's good for both sides. And it might be a combination or merger, depending on the situation, might be the best way to maximize the value. It might be the best for your employees, best for your customers. But if you really don't like each other, you may never get to the table. So uh, you got to kind of keep that in mind as well. Uh, so going public, not too many folks uh, probably in the room are thinking about that, uh, nor do I work with very many that go that direction. And unfortunately, there's lots of people um, that just liquidate their business. And um, I have a brother-in-law that has a retail store. He's had it for 30 years um, and striving. It's in a small community and he's ready to sell. He says, I'm just gonna, just gonna close up. I said, Ed, I said, you got you got a lot of value here. You've been here, you got a name, you know, you've got third generation soccer kids coming in here, all that kind of good stuff. He said, well, you know, there's a couple things. One is that I survived, um, I survived Big Five coming into the area, uh, and we made it through that, and I survived Walmart coming into the area, but now I've got Dick's Sporting Goods, and he's a sporting goods store, right? Finally owned a sporting goods store. Now he's got Dick's coming into the area, and so again, you end up with is the risk keeps going up and up and up. So that was one thing. The other thing is, is that a likely buyer is my daughter, and I don't want her to have the lifestyle that we've had over the last 30 years, right? Because she's working in it, and she uh, he says it's you know it's 12 hours a day, six days a week, and I just don't want to do that, and I don't want to have to. She doesn't have any money, and I don't want to have to lend her the money and get paid out over time because that means I'm not going to get out of the business. I'm going to have to stay here, right, and help her work it because otherwise I'm not going to get paid. So, you got all those things coming, kind of come into play. Uh, doesn't mean that it's all negative because there's lots of ways that it gets, can get done very well. It just takes some planning and some, uh, some thought process. Okay. Uh, Last page is uh, just some uh, left-hand side there, or just kind of a recap of what we've talked about. And um, obviously, on the left is bad and the right is good, but just looking at those, if you, if you don't plan, and that's probably as much as anything of takeaway, is start thinking about your timing, start thinking about your situation, do some reading, uh, learn about the process, so that you effectively start the planning process. If you haven't already, start it as of today. Uh, because I think going through all that, you can see that you're not going to maximize the value unless you've got it. Okay, might, you might get a good value, but maybe you're not going to get as much as you could have. Uh, timing's important, you know, both from a health standpoint, uh, where you're at personally, from a market standpoint, from an industry standpoint. If you pick the wrong time, you're not going to get as much. Uh, one buyer is no buyer, so you want to be able to um, have as many options as you can so you can create some competition out there. Tax planning, we didn't really talk about that too much. Incredibly important to have somebody that can help sort this through in a way this comes through in the personal uh, financial planning, but um, what ways can you uh, either defer taxes or minimize the amount of taxes through proper state planning? It's amazing uh, the difference that can come into play. Um, and then, um, yeah, just kind of a, a peace of mind that you uh, things are under control. 
and you're going to be able to take care of your employees, your financial situation's in good shape, and uh, you're able to go forward from there. So, so um, that's what I had in mind. You know, there, again, there's a variety of questions here that will give you a couple of other aspects, great questions. Every question probably is a 15-minute conversation, and I tried to give a bullet or two. Some of it we've covered, um, but I uh, encourage you to look through that and then uh, go through the transition readiness assessment and get an idea of maybe a few things that you can start working on. Okay? Anybody else write down a question on one of the sheets you want us to gather and address? Yeah. Would you just repeat something that you said that I just mentioned? Okay. Through, and I know you weren't predicting, you were just saying in general, the cycle, you said something about every eight years in general. So what I did when I did this presentation in 2010, I guess it was, is I had an organization that um, uh, was very tied into the economic cycle. So I went back and looked at the uh, the midpoints of the last four recessions, and it was every eight to ten years is that we had a recession, some deeper than others, but something caused a correction. And so that was in 2010, and I said the last midpoint was 2008, and I said, you know, 2016, we might be seeing something, right? Well, here we are in 2016, and um, things are still going pretty strong, lots of cranes in the air, lots of building going on. Uh, lots of activity, obviously, in the polit political side that, uh, you know, might, you know, either, uh, you know, increase it or decrease it, depending on your, your thoughts. Um, but what we all know is, is that, you know, when the Dow gets to 20,000, uh, there's going to be something that's going to bring it back down again, you know, before it goes back up. So just a matter of, of you know, I'm not predicting anything, because uh, if I could, I wouldn't be here, right? Uh, but... Um, but just a matter of thinking that through, you know, yeah. So I've got a family business, probably about 10% of the shares of family members, and they're just jumping in the bid to get to 25%, 50%, and I'm having a hard time letting go. Yeah. What kind of steps, have you seen any, you know, kind of models of how responsibilities are shifted over time and things that I might look for in shifting those responsibilities? Um, well, Number one, what's the timetable, right? Um, and so you'd say, you know, part of it is, is why do you have a hard time letting go, right? So in part of that first book that is on that, which I'd encourage you to get, because part of that addresses is that what does life after ownership look like, right? Um, after you sell the business and the business has been your life, what are you going to do, right? So is that why you're having a hard time letting go? You have a hard time letting go because uh, the family members uh, aren't properly trained and qualified, right? Maybe they've got the ability, but they've never been given the responsibility. So you'd say, okay, over the next five years, in fact, they got somebody working right now is that we've got, we got a president and we've got a, a chief operating officer that have identified the two people they're going to transition to, and they want to do it over 12 months might work, they've both been in the business quite a while, but you gotta get pretty definitive of what duties are we talking about, what do you do, when, what month, and when, how, what the training is, so put a plan in place. It might be 12 months, it might be two years, it might be three years, uh, in order to slowly transition that person so they'll be able to do the job as good or better than you are, right? And then once you do transition that, you maybe stay involved in an advisory basis, uh, and uh, you know, just to help, help out. Um, so that's really just a matter of putting it down, being realistic on the assessment of, of the starting point with people, you know, and then how big of a gap there is and then, um, and then work your way towards it to where you get comfortable. And I encourage you, the other thing is that even if they have 10% and you start doing 10% a year, okay, so you bonus or you gift or you do something like that, and this is where um, the second book, uh, family's business comes into play, which you'll enjoy, and that is that you don't give up control until you're sure this is the right thing to do, right? So they might get 25, they might get 35, they might get 45, but as long as you're in control, they're clear, you're not promising to sell them the business unless it's best for the business and it's best for the family, you know? So uh, if, if you've got a business that's worth $2 million 
and that's a good chunk of your estate and you sell it to your business because they, your, your kids, because they really think they want it and that $2 billion goes away, it doesn't do anybody any good, right? Because now, frankly, when you're older, they've got to take care of you and there's no money, right? And there's no business. So it's partly a matter of everybody understanding is, you know, what's best for the business is usually best for the family and best for the estate and let's figure this out, okay? Question. In a small business like probably most of us are, construction, where do you look for opportunities to market it? How do you start that process? Um, well, there's a variety of, of people out there that are in that business, right? There's business brokers for smaller businesses. Uh, there are M&A firms for, let's say, mid-sized businesses, and there's investment bankers for large businesses. Now, um, just like when you sell your house, you know, it costs you, right? But on the other hand, if you're able to maximize the value and get out into the market, uh, well, then you look at the amount you end up with afterwards versus the, with the fees. And so there are, are people out there that that's their business is to sell your business. Um, and so that's one way to do it. Um, <clears throat> another way is to, you know, get a good handle on it and assess the situation and determine if you want to go that direction or if you want to put something together with your management team, get a valuation done, what's the cash flow, is it something your management team or kids can handle it, and then you know, put that together. Um, and, uh, or, and possibly look at from a competitive standpoint. You know, uh, are there people that a merger helps both companies? Uh, and uh, so it's really, each situation is fairly unique, but part of it is first getting a good handle on your business, what's the potential valuation, and going through that education process. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd mentioned um, <coughs> that the valuation of your business can depend on the buyer. Yep. Uh, which I think is really interesting. And then leads to the question of whether it makes sense to identify potential buyers prior to looking at selling your business. Yep. Spending time on researching who would be yep. interested in your business, yep. who those players are, and, yep. and then potentially Bet. contact them. Contact them and start lining it up. Uh, <clears throat> so one of the things you end up with is if there are other businesses similar to yours that have already been sold, who did they sell to and why, right? And even to the extent that you make contact with the guy that sold the company and say, How'd this work for you, right? What were you thinking? You know, that type of thing. So there's some education there. But yeah, to be strategic about it is, is, can be helpful, you know, because you start lining things up, creating some relationships, and realize that there's a, you know, if you all read Stephen Covey, you gotta have the end in mind, right? Where do you wanna be in three years, five years, or 10 years? And how do you envision that? And what's the plan? And then how do you, how do you move there? So not unlike decisions that, you might make your business as you go after new customers or into new markets, you do that strategically. So just in a way it's taking that uh, uh, thought process and that capability and switching it into another avenue of getting strategic about selling your business and identifying a buyer. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. And, and uh, can, again, it'll, it'll then drive your behavior and how you run your business and uh, do your marketing. Other questions? Okay. Pardon me? ESOP is an ESOP, it's Employee Stock Ownership Program. It's essentially when you sell uh, your, uh, uh, sell all your company to all your employees instead of a manage just the management team. So if you've got 100 people and you want everybody to own it, uh, again, it's fairly complicated and fairly expensive but doable, is that you're able to have effectively the company borrow money, all the shareholders then work to pay that money back and then you get the money from a third party. Um, but it's, uh, um, there's about 11,000 ESOPs in the United States and there's some tax advantages to it um, and it gives people a sense of ownership, you know. But I'll have people say, I wanna do an ESOP. I say, great, number one, you know, um, do, do you want all your people to understand and know how much the company makes, right? So you gotta have the culture to turn these up because if, you know, example would be is if you've been giving everybody 3% raises for the last 10 years and you've been pulling out a million dollars a year, and now you wanna do an ESOP, say, hey folks, this is great, you're gonna become part owner of the company, makes a million dollars a year, and they say, well, wait a minute, 
I've only been getting 3% and I'm making 18 bucks an hour. What's the deal, right? So it can get a little tricky, you know, and then maybe it's just a management buyout, right? So I don't, not that I discourage ESOPs because it's possible and they're really good, uh, but it, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a particular client. Spent my year last night. He's a chef. Trying to decide whether he should buy a restaurant to be able to help him. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It's the other side, right? Why would you want to buy it? How much do you want to pay? What's your plan on paying for it, right? How qualified are you? Um, which is, yeah, just the the other side of it. And I had a, somebody that wanted to buy a coffee shop, and you know, best thing I did for her was to convince her she shouldn't buy that coffee shop. You know. I understand. <laughs> And she appreciated it after we were done talking about it. Yeah. Well, what a great morning, Arnie. Okay. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate it. <clears throat>